how do you just organically say the word hemorrhoid in one show as many times <laughs> as we have? At least 25 times. <laughs> this even come up. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and maybe even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome everyone. She's back. I'm back. I'm back. It's me. I'm Laura. I am officially a mother of two. Whoa, I get yay. to say it. I get to say it. I don't have to say it. soon to be and then complain that I keep saying that. No, it's official. All the way official. He's here. He came all the way out. He's all the way out. I am all the way a mother of two. And I have my Montessori training in lower and upper elementary, which is ages 6 to 12. I am here tonight with Megan, also mother of two, with her training in lower elementary, ages 6 to 9. And she's also currently working on her primary training, which is ages 3 to 6. Rachel will not be with us today. She is on vacation with her family for spring break. That was very well earned, Rachel, and we miss you, but are very glad that you're enjoying yourself. We hope that she's having a wonderful time, but honestly, we already know that she is because we've seen the pictures. That's it. We will fill in her spot, though, with a special guest star that we will introduce shortly. So before we do that, let's get into... Our little weekly Sharon. So what? what's up? What's up, Megan? What's new? Nobody cares about what's up with me. <laughs> That's not true. I care. Doesn't even matter. Tell me everything. So I have like not been able to talk to you since was before. Was before this whole other human joined my life. Yeah. Yeah. So I want a, I was going to say brief, but I forgot who I'm talking to. <laughs> little <laughs> story of like I mean I know that he came out tell me more okay yeah I will I will keep it brief on this one because also birth stories like I can imagine f- several people just stopped listening to this episode I will not go into detail I want to hear your birth story <laughs> yeah so uh almost month ago this weekend marks one month which is freaking crazy so three weeks ago there was a super full moon and I had jokingly said for like nine months that a full moon would pull this baby out I don't know what it was about the moon I've heard that before that wasn't the case with my daughter because didn't you say you were like I'd like it to be on the ninth because nine is my lucky number I also like seven but there was a full moon on the eighth. Yeah, actually, the full moon was on the was seventh. That, was, so that's why I was like, oh, the full moon was. Yeah, on the I seventh. wanted three or nine because those are my two lucky numbers, and I was like, 
that would be cool to land on. Like, but the full moon. But the moon was, yeah, the moon was right in between those two. And I jokingly said, once the third passed, I was like, all right, well, I guess he's coming with the moon, or or maybe we'll hit my other lucky number. And then the morning of the like peak full moon day, I woke up to my water just like exploding in a grandiose fashion, like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep, that's your water breaking all right. Because, you know, I went through the birth education classes with my first pregnancy and they're like, it's not like in the movies, like it's not going to be a big gush. You might not even know, you might not even be sure, like it could just be a trickle. And you might be thinking like, you know, oh, did I pee myself? Like, what is this? And turns out it's your water that broke. No, both times now for me, it was like a water balloon was squished in my pelvic floor somewhere and it was very obvious so my husband's alarm goes off and I'm starting to stir and I'm like hmm I feel a little moist and stand up and I'm like okay yep my water broke so you know when your water breaks you're on a clock now you've got like most providers are going to give you about 24 hours before they're like okay this baby needs to come out because that amniotic fluid is like your protective barrier right it keeps all the germs and things out from the outside getting into the inside where the baby is so my water broke but I was not feeling any contractions or any other signs of labor but I did know you know we're gonna have to go check in so it was actually kind of a nice way for things to go down because I knew you know today is the day I'm probably meeting him today or, or at least early tomorrow. Uh, things went really fast with my daughter. So I figured once things did start, like once contractions did pick up, I probably would not be waiting too much longer before I did meet him. But because I wasn't feeling those things yet, I was able to sort of just go like take a shower, figure out what I wanted to wear, finish packing the hospital bag, and then go with my husband to take my daughter to school because that's our usual routine. And we stopped for a breakfast and she sat on my lap and I'm like tearing up thinking this is our last breakfast together as a family of three. Oh yeah. I was not expecting that. I got so emotional before leaving for the hospital, leaving my daughter. Yeah. Also, it was the first time I'd ever left her. She was only not even 14 months old yet. And yeah, that one hits you. And I feel like I wasn't expecting that when you're just sitting there and you're like, oh, this is the end of something. Yeah, it is. It's the beginning of something and the end of something. And it's a it's a beautiful and emotional moment. And it was for me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we brought her to school and I had already texted you and Rachel. So Rachel working in the classroom next to my daughter's classroom had said something to her teacher. So like, as I'm walking up the sidewalk, everybody's popping their heads out of their classrooms like, hey, <laughs> today's the day. The like, yeah, it was so sweet. And I got a big hug from my daughter's teacher. And yeah, so we go check in and everything's at a very leisurely pace. For me, the trick both times with both both labors, the things that the thing that really got everything like super kickstarted was I put a pump on for just a second. Just put that pump on, get a little bit of stimulation, and contraction started immediately. Just immediately. Just thinking about it. Yeah. Um, contraction started by like 3 p.m. that day, and by 9 p.m. it was like time to push for sure. And I thought that that was going to be really, I know, poor Megan. This is the one time, Megan, the one time that I get to be like, oh, long labor? What's that? I don't even know. Because like we've had opposite experiences. But where I did kind of step into your world of pain in both experiences is that the pushing part with this guy was not as quick and easy as his sister his sister came out in two pushes a total of like six minutes of my life and she was good to go she was tucked perfectly in the perfect position 
this kid, his entire existence to date in every ultrasound, had a fist, like basically resting his chin on his fist, (laughs) like a little mini thinker pose. And he is Mm -hmm. constantly in that state of being. Even now, he constantly keeps his little fists up by his face. Well, he was like that the entire time that I was pushing. And we tried inversions. We tried all these things to kind of back him up and get him to resettle. And every time he settled with his fist right in that spot. No, I like it like this. Yeah, he does. He really does. And I don't. Because when you do that, it basically disables the head from having like the right amount of flexion and presenting like the part of the head that can kind of be squeezed through the birthing canal the most easily because of all the little like seams in the skull that haven't closed up yet. So I had to fight this kid's head and fist out. And Mm. it was like two hours of pushing, which I did not think it was going to be. So that kind of threw me for a loop. And two hours of like the most effort that you can possibly get. For sure. Like all of the effort. Do you have hemorrhoids now? I think I might. I want to talk to you about that later because I've never had a hemorrhoid before but um let's just say there are two people in this house that are afraid to poop right now (laughs) one of them is the newborn that can't figure out like what's happening in his body and the other one is me because dude ouch that hurt more for me like the after I was in my recovery room I was like what is this I was like this hurts more like I thought I was gonna be beat up other places but no i was like nobody told me about this this and the nurse was like oh i just had a baby seven months ago she's like girl and i was like what yeah it's yeah i remember you talking about naming your hemorrhoid after your daughter (laughs) and so the last couple times i've gone to the bathroom i've been like i should check with megan about what what like you know Maybe that's what I'm experiencing right now. But yeah, anyway, that might be a little TMI for everybody. And you're welcome for that. But also if you've (laughs) given birth, you probably have experienced something similar. So yeah, basically I got him out. He came out swinging because of that little fist tucked under his chin. He literally like punched through victoriously. And my husband was like, I don't know where the last like five pushes came from. Like you were just, you were toasted. I don't know how you did it. And I think it is because all of that talk about like, oh, he'll come with the full moon. He'll come with the full moon. Well, the full moon on the calendar is marked on this day, right? And we're getting later and later and later into the night. I look over at one point, it's like 1139 PM. And I'm like, no, you are not coming tomorrow on the day that was not the day of the full moon. You are, you are going to be born on this calendar day. And I forced this kid out in the next couple minutes. Like, you will be my full moon baby. So he was born at 11.53 p.m., seven minutes from being the wrong day, quote unquote, in my head. (laughs) So am I a little bit type A psychopath? Absolutely. But it's all worked out nicely for me and for him. If there's something that you should know about Laura, it's that she loves the moon. (laughs) Yeah, I do. It's so true. It's a thing. so true. I don't know if people have picked that up yet. I feel like the moon comes up more than it should in a Montessori (laughs) podcast. Maybe I've cut most of them, but I am a big fan. And so it was cool. It was a cool little correlation. So yeah, that was a very abridged version of... Well, I'm happy you're back and that you're both healthy and safe and that you crushed it. I do feel like a little bit like a superhero. And I think anybody who 
births a person should feel that way for at least a couple weeks before you know life sets in and reminds you of all the non-superhero things but that was the last couple weeks of my life has just been adjusting to the new normal I feel like in my other in my non-other mom cast podcast an episode will come out tomorrow about just like a quick rundown of some of the initial differences that I've noticed and there definitely are some trade-offs of like stuff that feels a lot easier this time and then stuff that's like a whole new ball game as you well know. So, so yeah, that's where we're at. Well, I'm just happy to talk to you. Again, you were very missed. We have been very busy over here. I was in Boston, your old stomping grounds, um, a couple weekends ago for the AMS conference and got to see so many of our old podcast guests. I got to see Tatenda from Montessori on Wheels. I got to see Shazadi from My Monty Home and uh, Gabrielle from Multilingual Montessori, which was so fun. And I came home and then my daughter and I went to California a couple days later, flew together, had a little girl's trip for my sister-in-law's baby shower, which was really fun. And then This is the thing that I've been meaning to tell you. So then the following week, I was supposed to go to Dallas. I didn't mean to plan all of these things three weekends in a row. And at that point, I had been away from my son for 10 days, not 10 days consecutively, but it was five and five with a few days home in between, which five alone is longer than I've ever been away from him. And so I was feeling really guilty about that. But my Dallas trip was supposed to go see Taylor Swift. And you guys know I love Taylor Swift and I was really excited. And I was going with some of my friends, one from elementary school, one from middle school, one from college, like just these really good friends that I haven't seen in a long time. And I canceled my and sold my Taylor oh, Swift wow. ticket. That if that's I know. seriously, if that's not motherhood <laughs> and the ultimate sacrifices of motherhood in a nutshell. It is. It is. And, and it's, it seems silly. It's like, you know, it's a, it's a concert and, uh, but I was really upset about it. Not, not necessarily because of course I wanted to go, but I was just thinking about how I don't get to do the things I want to do anymore, you know, that I have to make these choices and, I feel like I made the right one. Of course, I don't want to leave my husband with my children for three weeks in a row. If he went to a, if he left me at home for 10 days with the kids and then went to a concert with his friends, <laughs> I would actually murder him. And neither of them are sleeping right now. It's so hard. And so I know it was the right decision, but I was so sad about it. And it was just kind of this moment of like, my life is different yeah. now. You know, I don't get to just kind of jet set off to do whatever I want and I I feel like that's like a duh and it's obvious but we had kids me especially I had two kids in a pandemic and there just wasn't stuff going on so I really didn't miss out on a whole lot because nobody was doing anything and this is kind of the first time that there was something I really wanted to do do and I just couldn't and I needed to make that decision and it was it was it was not fun so I felt silly even bringing it up like I didn't get to go to the Taylor Swift concert (laughs) I know. I know. That should not be taken lightly. So I priced it really low. It sold in like five minutes and my she sat next to my friends and they said that she was so excited. Aww. And when she talked to them, she cried. <laughs> I was like, I'm just so happy I got to come and please thank your friend that I could afford it. And yeah. um, so that made me feel good. Let, let the young ones live their, live their uh, truth for a little while until she has to be at home with. That's true. It's beautiful. Two children who don't The sleep. circle of life. Live it up, girl. In action. You live it up. At a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> circle I love of it. circle of life. 
<laughs> so let's let's get into it. We'll be back after this break. Okay, Laura, I need to talk to you about something. Talk to me. Tell me. What do you got? What's up? So I've discovered a new toy subscription. And you know I love a toy subscription, but this one is different. It is Tiny Earth Toys, and it is a rental toy subscription. Because I recently learned that 90% of children's toys are plastic and used for only six months. Hmm. 80% end up in a landfill, incinerators, or the ocean. But Tiny Earth Toys is here to change that. It checks all our boxes. It's plastic-free, backed by educators, female-founded, local, so it's in our backyard, and it's also a small business. So not to mention that we have been able to cut down our clutter and storage in our home because we can just send them back when we're done instead of trying to find a place to keep them. There's a five toy kit and it's valued at $250 plus retail costs and the rental starts at $35 a month, which is much different than the other subscription boxes that are out there. By breaking the cycle of overconsumption and normalizing reuse of children's toys, we can empower an entire generation to consume consciously. So you can try out Tiny Earth Toys by going to tinyearthtoys.com and you can use the code WILD10 at checkout for $10 off your box. You can support our show by supporting our amazing partners. So today I am so excited to welcome Lene Ludwig from Splashes of Speech to our show. Lene is a licensed speech language pathologist who I have had the pleasure of working with personally as she is the speech therapist to our son. After our first session, I knew Lene's approach to language was very aligned with how we approach language in a Montessori environment. We were excited that Lene agreed to join us because I can say from personal experience that deciding your child may need speech therapy can be daunting. We are also aware that not everyone has access to services, let alone services that align with your family's philosophy. So, Lene is here to answer our questions and give us some tips for navigating this. Welcome to our show, Lene. Can you tell us a little bit about Splashes of Speech and how, how it came to be? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Splashes of Speech actually started as a blog when I was pregnant with my son, who is now four, and I had my daughter, who was not quite, well, she was right around two years old. And so I had kind of some of the thoughts that a lot of parents have, just kind of wondering, is she hitting those milestones? You know, is she kind of along with her peers in terms of development, in terms of speech, of course, was an area that I watched very closely. And then I also had some friends kind of reach out during that time um, and ask questions regarding their kids' speech development, like, what can I do? Is this normal? Some of those kinds of questions. And so I thought, yeah, this would be a really fun time to, you know, use her development to help guide, maybe give some ideas for other people. And it was also just kind of fun to document some of the activities that we did back then when I was, I had all the time in the world. It's a little perspective. We just were talking recently about how when you're a professional first in whatever field you're in, um, you have that perspective, but then when you move over to parent, all of a sudden you're like, oh, 
I get it. I get the worry. I get the wanting to have answers and not having the trusted resources around you. So I did not know you were a blogger first. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was funny, though, because I do think that there were times that I thought, man, I'm killing this mom thing. And then there was times where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I swear this is what I've done for however many years already, you know, as a speech therapist. And how do I encourage her to do things in terms of speech? And so it was a lot of trial and error um, with different activities that I kind of used as examples for the blog. And so I started to kind of figure out that you can't do it all day long. It's got to be just little parts throughout the day. And yeah just opportunities that you find. And so that's where I kind of came up with the whole splashes of speech, like little splashes throughout your day, hmm. rather than focused, sit down time, we work on speech for 45 All day minutes long. No, yeah, it's a couple minutes here. It's a couple minutes there, especially early on when they're so little and developing. And so that's where splashes of speech, the name came from. I love that. And that's so true. So you work with my son. And you know, even though we're in there for a half hour, you probably get a couple seconds at a time. And that's so I didn't, I didn't think about that, that you do, you just, you capitalize on those little splashes, those little moments and the mm -hmm. rest of them, they're running away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at like least taking mine. them around the room. Yeah. <laughs> it's very yeah. real. <laughs> okay. So I feel like this is a big one that parents are very aware of their child's language development. And especially we, you and I were just talking about this, about COVID and the pandemic and these kids now that are beginning their emerging talkers, they did not have the same kind of so socialization or the just environment that other children usually get. And so I think this is like a really big concern for parents right now for young toddlers, how can they encourage, how can caregivers and parents encourage development of language at home or at daycares or at preschool, um, at different schools? We've had even educators, when we said you were coming on, coming in and saying, how do we implement this kind of thing in our toddler classrooms and making sure that we're really encouraging a lot of language? How can, what tips do you have for at home, for those little splashes, those little moments? Yeah, I mean, I always think of it as providing an opportunity, right? So especially when they're really little, it's, okay, how do I set up the environment in a way that provides an opportunity? So whether it's a playtime, okay, how can I use whatever it is that they're playing with to encourage, you know, communication? Okay, well, if we want to just encourage them to communicate more, how can we provide an opportunity for them to be motivated to you know, communicate. And so it may be that we're doing something big, big and silly. It may be that we're playing with whatever they're playing with and just kind of bugging them a little bit to try to encourage them to communicate, even just to tell us to stop. <laughs> I mean, any kind of way to set up an opportunity. And I would set up things with my daughter where I'd set it aside from other things. And, you know, I knew, knew that she might be into like a little pretend farm. And I'd think in my mind going in, okay, what could I maybe help her with while we're playing. And as I'm playing, I'm just encouraging language. And so it shouldn't be that you need to go out and buy special toys or 
you know, you could to make it more novel, but that's not, you know, it's usually what are they interested in? How can I encourage them to communicate in that way? And so it may be providing choices to promote them to communicate and tell you what they want. It may be building on what they say. So like the farm example, if they say moo, you'd say, yes, the cow says moo and he's going to eat. The cow is eating. So I'm just building on the things that they might say. Yeah. Um, I feel like something that I immediately was drawn to with you is because we obviously in our home and in my own teaching follow a specific um, pedagogy and something that we've talked about. You're like, I feel like we're like very in line with Montessori and it's meeting the child where they're at, meeting them where they are at developmentally, but also just on a personal level, meeting them through play and their senses and, you know, making it contextual. So, you know, making it so that it's functional and also part of their interest. So, you know, when you work- That's what I was going to say is capitalizing on their actual interests. That you like this farm, we're going to play. And that's something you, I think you have on your website, as you said, through play. And instead of, you know, sometimes parents feel like they need to, you know, get the flashcards or they need the ABC mouse, or I don't even know what the- apps are these days. There's probably a better one than that now. I don't know. Um, but feeling like they're grasping at straws and trying to like teach language and language is taught through just interacting. And so you're, what I love about what you do is just, it's fun, it's interactive and it's part of their daily life, you know, playing with animals on a farm or, I think last week you just blew bubbles with my son or pulled a balloon down and he said pull and he's never said pull before. And that was so cool. So that was really cool. Um, it was cool. <laughs> so I think that that is really helpful and takes a lot of pressure off of parents of the biggest thing that you can do is just talk to them and play with them and interact with them from the start. And I think that's what a question a lot of parents have is like, how do we build this at home from the very beginning? If you if you have the the honor of working with Lene, she's just going to play with your child and might bug them a little bit too. <laughs> like you said. But that's something you can start at home immediately. Yeah, I think and working with those things that they're interested in, those are functional words, yeah. right? So it's functional to them that you know, if they're really into blocks, it's functional for them to be able to ask for blocks or to be mm -hmm. able to say a word that's a consistent word for them for the word block or the color or the, you know, the shape or, oh no, it fell down. Well, they can use it in that moment, but they can maybe use that functionally in another time too. So I think that's where the pressure hopefully can kind of come off the shoulders of parents. And I think educators too. I've worked in schools for quite a few years and I remember walking into classrooms and teachers being like, thank God you're here. <laughs> like, I need help with this little one. And, and then they'd see what I was doing, or I'd tell them, well, in this moment, you could do that. It, you know, kind of takes off of the thought of it's this, you know, amazing miracle of a thing. And it's, it's little things. It's not yeah. this major breakthrough that just a speech pathologist can do. And a big yeah. part of my job is teaching parents that, showing teachers that you can yeah. do this. 
I think that the thing that you did with us that was really helpful for me and that I had never done before is to, for any child that is maybe just starting to speak or babbling, is to do it with syllables, to give them options with syllables. So if they're not yet speaking, you had us choose between two things that had different syllables. So like juice or apple. And so even if they're just babbling, if they're like, <laughs> you know, they're, you're still able to communicate. And I love that kind of scaffolding for them. And it's been really helpful for us and kind of mind blowing for me of even the simplest things. Sometimes we don't really think of them until someone kind of, you know, like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I'd never That's thought actually- of doing it before. That's actually kind of blowing my mind. That's a really cool way (laughs) around that, like a single syllable babble versus Mm -hmm. a multisyllabic babble is at least an attempt at recreating that word, which gets you one step closer to figuring out what they're trying to communicate. That's so cool. I love that. That's definitely the hardest part, I'd say, about having a child struggling in that way is that they're struggling to communicate. And you're struggling to understand their needs. And that's the biggest obstacle is that they have all these things they want to say and they can't. And oh my gosh, how frustrating. Yeah, that leads that? to so many other behavioral things too. Because, yeah. you know, every child is different, but a lot of children will get frustrated with the inability to be understood and communicate. And then you get all these other behaviors and meltdowns and just. And you as the adult can be triggered by your frustration of your inability to understand. And it just leads into so many other aspects of your relationship that that's just just a simple little tip like that can be such an important game changer. Have you found that there's like a big connection between speech and behavioral issues? 100%. I can't (laughs) say. I do think what happens a lot of the time is we default to think that that's what all behaviors come from. And I think we're, you know, all parents and anyone who has, who have worked with children know that it's not always communication, but a lot of the time it is. And so giving a child some kind of success in those moments, whether it's, you know, syllables, or maybe they use their little baby signs, or maybe they attempt to make a choice even by just reaching for the thing that they want, which some kids don't even do that. And if they can do that and have some success, you'll see it in their eyes. You'll see them excited that they were able to get their point across. And then those little moments build. And I think the motivation for them is higher. The motivation for parents, you know, is higher. And I think that those little successes, just as tiny as they seem, can really reduce those moments of frustration. And it's it, it's motivating for the next communication attempt, right? Yeah. Yeah. Building on those little successes. Um, something we've talked about before is we, we had a previous episode on um, what Montessori called human tendencies. And they're just basic urges that humans have and, you know, the, the urges that we have that drive us forward and drive our society forward and and make us want more. And uh, one of those is communication. Like it's a basic human need. And so um, this kind of goes into my next question because there's also something we call the absorbent mind in Montessori of children from birth through six years old. They have this absorbent mind. It's like a sponge, like anything. They're just taking in all of it. Language, culture, behaviors, everything that comes their way, they are absorbing it. 
And um, what I've heard people say before with children who uh, aren't talking yet, they say, they just don't want to. They just don't want to talk yet. And um, and my thought is always, of course, yeah, they, of course they want to communicate. And the question is, and I think the hang up is a lot of time of like, when should I be worried? When do I need to seek help? What should I be looking for? Um, and And when is it something that we should be looking towards, maybe some support? Yeah, I think the frustration is something that we look for pretty early on. Some kids come in and they're just not really communicating that much and parents will say, no, I don't see a whole lot of frustration yet. I think as they get older, you'll, you'll see it come out, especially um, as they, their vocabulary, even in their brain grows, they're starting to be able to want to tell you things or tell you things that they want. And so frustration is a big one. I think a big one is looking at kids their age. And so, yeah, there's a wide wide range of normal for sure. But if your kids are around other kids their age and you're seeing that they're not quite where they need to be, that's another thing that you might talk to your doctor about. I think it's smart to just bring it up. If you have, you know, I believe in mom gut and that intuition, like maybe something doesn't feel quite right. Or maybe this wasn't as, this is one I hear a lot. And I think I've heard it from a lot of moms that have multiple children, but that, well, you know, he's not doing what my other son was doing or, you know, and, and girls are boys and boys are a little different often with the, their communication in that girls tend to communicate maybe faster or develop maybe a little bit faster. But if you see a big wide range from what your first child was doing or what children around are doing compared to what maybe your second, third, fourth child are doing, that's also something that you might want to talk to your doctor about. I think it's worth it. And I think as they get older, you know, we, I want to talk about all these early intervention kids, but there's also those kids like, you know, maybe a five-year-old that isn't saying a certain sound and now they're not able to sound out words or it's affecting their academics. You know, maybe talking to the teacher, like, what do you see? You know, are you seeing that they're having a hard time saying these things? Or you're, are you having a hard time understanding them at that age? And so I think it's really reaching out to resources and trusting your mom gut. Yeah, I love that because that's what you told me. I came in and I don't really talk a lot about our speech journey because I do try to keep my son's, you know, what's going on in his life private to him. But my journey with this was that no one else was concerned. (laughs) Family, no one was concerned. Doctor wasn't concerned. Teachers weren't concerned, but I was concerned. And I came to you and I was, I was nervous that, you know, most people had said, wait till he's two, wait till he's two, wait till he's two. And when I came to you, you said, well, yeah, but if you're worried, I'm worried. And that was just so validating for me of just like, you know, we'll figure it out. But if you have a concern, I have a concern. And I think that that goes into what makes it hard to find help is I've had friends and family who've reached out and like finally decided that they're going to ask for support and maybe are met with doubt or someone who, um, makes them feel like they're doing something wrong or is immediately judgmental. So what would you say to look for when you're seeking resources? 
and help because not one size does not fit all. I think, you know, speech pathology is a big, we have, our scope of practice is so big. And so I think you need to really look into, first of all, specialty. Like you want to find a speech pathologist that specializes in whatever your concerns are, because some specialize in, you know, maybe alternative communication. If you're, you know, an AAC devices, an area where you might think you might want to be able to look into like something that'll help them communicate because maybe atomically they can't, or maybe they're having a hard time more in the level of school and academics. And so maybe you need to look into it. A speech therapist that works more along the literacy side of things, or like me, I specialize in early intervention, language development, speech sounds. You know, you want to look for specialty. You also want to look for age of you know um, that they work with because we can work with zero all the way through you know the whole lifespan, and so I think that's important. And then truly, there's got to be a fit, right? So I feel yeah. like you call. You ask for a screening, you ask to meet them, and you just kind of see if the way that you're wanting your child to learn fits with the way that the speech therapist works. Yeah. I think that it's important that there's buy-in from parents, and I think you're not going to get the buy-in on my end. I'm not going to get the buy-in if we aren't on the same wavelength of, well, this is how I want it to go. Yeah. And I think different speech therapists go you know, about it a different way, and it works for some children. and. And sometimes it doesn't with others. And so I think yeah. it's, it's hard because you don't, not everyone gets to choose. And I do know that that's true. You know, sometimes you're, you're referred, your insurance only covers a certain amount of people. And, and that's just the way that it, it goes. Or your child goes to school and they need a free resource and that's the only person there. But you do need the buy-in because if you have a professional that makes you feel defensive or you feel like they're judging you, you need someone who's on your team, you know, and is on your child's team and sees the best in your child and and wants to listen and support you because at the end of the day, you spend the most time with your child. And that's kind of, you know, what I got from you immediately. If you were like, if you're worried, I'm worried. And I was like, okay. Because I am. And then, of course, like his second birthday rolled around and the doctor was like, mm, you should probably think about speech therapy. And I was like, I know. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> I already knew that. <laughs> so, yeah, mom gets real too. Her parent gets real. Get, or whoever. Like trust that, in, that intuition. Unless you're Laura's daughter. If you meet Laura's daughter, she speaks like she is 20 years old. She like had she... adverbial phrases at like one and a half. <laughs> It's a little, it's a little freaky. She like once a day hits me with something where not. I'm like, are you just a reincarnated like 500 year old woman? Why do you speak like this? She's like, hmm, mommy, I don't think that's quite the marker I'm looking for. I'm like, okay, you're, she's three. You're not from this planet. So that's it's fine. That's fine. Future speech therapist in the making. It is wild. <laughs> It is wild. She is, and the girl can talk for a very long time. But every time I talk to her, I'm like, she's definitely I mean, my how, kid. I'm saying this like yeah. I don't know where she gets this from. I literally don't stop talking. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I've been very quiet this episode because I have to be because I have a newborn screaming like two feet away from me. But um, she comes by it honestly. Don't even lie, she Megan. Does. You know exactly where she gets it from. She can't like not tell the longest version of every story. You have to have all the context going in to yes, just the most simple anecdote. So yeah, she stayed at my fault. house a few weeks ago, and she had a lot to say at bedtime. But you know, everything she says is like, well, if I get up in the night, and I'm upset, and I'm crying, 
you could come back in the room and I will know where you are. And I was like, (laughs) I have an idea. She hits me with that all the time. Hey, mommy, I have an idea. Whereas my daughter would just be like, you're coming back. (laughs) Straight to the point. You come back. (laughs) So Laura had questions. You fi- Do you have a second to finally ask your questions? Okay. I do have a couple questions. Megan mentioned the whole post-pandemic reality of a lot of mm-hmm. speech delays. And she was talking about the lack of being able to be socialized for a lot of kids. I have been hearing a lot of toddler teacher and just sort of pre-K teacher feedback about the kids who were in school or were being socialized, but the masks played such a huge part of it. Do you have... Any to and, and I know we're mostly past that now, but not entirely, right? There are still some classrooms where they'll get a case and teachers got to put a mask back on and, you know, the whole nine yards. So do you have any tips or tricks for parents or teachers who might be dealing with having to mask up for large portions of your interactions with kids? I know I struggled with this one. I had a student with a cochlear implant, right? He was technically pretty much completely deaf. Without that implant, he could hear, right? If the battery died, he could hear nothing. And doing like spelling tests and read alouds and stuff, I was trying to find masks with at least a a window in them, but they would kind of just fog up immediately, right? And that visual, being able to see like the shapes my mouth was taking, both for him and then for children who are learning to make these sounds, I can imagine that's a big setback. Do you have any tips or tricks on that front? So I did work in the schools during that time, and I worked in a preschool where we were required to wear masks. And so, yes, it is. It, it affected what they were hearing. It affected what I was hearing when they were wearing masks. It was hard for me to know. It was hard for them to know what sounds I'm making, right? So there's certain sounds in English language that are those high-frequency sounds. And so whenever you're using a mask, you're not going to hear them. You know, it might be like a S sound, a S or a T. And so, yeah, spelling would be hard. I would say Anytime that you can utilize something where they can see, whether it's a shield, I had shields that I would use when I was testing, or in my actual speech room, we had plexiglass dividers. Of course, I didn't love any of this because I felt like it just wasn't so personalized anymore. And it goes yeah. against like everything you do. How did you sneeze with things on your head? <laughs> so that's my yeah. favorite thing that she does. She puts something on her head. And she sneezes and it falls off and he loves it. <laughs> it's like, how do you do that? Of kids love that. It's so funny. I, they love, I call them like exclamatory, like big exaggerated things. And so sneezing things off of your head is an unexpected exaggerated thing. So I still did it, but I just did it with a mask on. But I also, you know, we found ways where we talked with, you know, the teachers. So it was an, it was in a preschool that was a combination of kids in special ed and on IEPs and a combination of, of peer models and kids that weren't. And so when I was working with some of those kids that needed the extra help, it may be that when I was talking to them and they needed to be able to see my mouth, I might back away, pull my mask down, pull my shield down and say it wasn't super ideal. I'm thankful that it's not the norm in every classroom anymore. I do think it, it is something that does affect speech. And it, is, it yeah. affects their model. You think about a kid that can't hear, even without the masks, you know, yeah. it's going to affect. That's one of the first questions I ask when I'm evaluating a little one. Have they had their hearing checked? And so when you're hearing, you know, talking like that, yeah. you're not going to hear things as clearly. And that's your model to learn from. And so yeah. I don't love masks. I would say shields. I had a mask with 
the window. It fogs up. It also doesn't really let sound through super clearly. Yeah, yeah that was a struggle for us at the time. I started just pulling groups outside to do spelling outside so I could take my mask off and just like yell <laughs> words to them because at least yeah. they could see my mouth. You know, I didn't have toddlers, but I was starting in first grade where again, we're going over like short vowel sounds versus long vowel sounds and the shape your mouth makes makes a big difference in each of those things. And um, we even had like visual cues for like E, like, and you can't, you lose all of that when your mouth is covered. So I was just wondering if you had any better ideas. The shield is a good one. And just sort of putting space in between you and doing what you can to get that visual back is, is important to know. Huge. But I feel like Um, that's really helpful too, for just parents at home with their children of what we're talking about. Like, how do I just encourage language is to face them and speak to them so that they can see your mouth and being a little bit more exaggerated with it so that they can see and hear and and mimic what your mouth is doing because as you know what I take away from both of your struggles because I was not in a classroom at that time and what I'm taking away from your struggles is how important that is and so we can give that to our children right now at home by just facing them because so often we're like you know we're at the counter we're cooking yeah. we're looking down at them or we're shouting from you kind of yelling across the room their back yeah, is so- to you they're looking at the tv they're completely yeah. engrossed you know like that this actually is a really important just sort of toddler and young child tip period mm-hmm. even like if Rachel were here I'm sure she'd say this is a huge part of being in the classroom with 12 toddlers and you want to get someone's attention you need to go put yourself right there in front of them and make sure they're seeing hey I'm talking to you now and slow it down and exaggerate it and that's especially important obviously if you are thinking there's any kind of speech delay or struggle yeah and I think with language development then it's you know it's checks for understanding like what did I tell you? What are we going to do first? Whatever. So you're just making sure because sometimes kids fake it really well that they're understanding you. Oh yeah. Speaking that student with the implant, he had figured out by the time that he was, you know, it had been his whole life. By the time he was coming to my class, he had figured out how to look like he's got it just like everybody else does, even when he really didn't hear what you said. So yeah, those are really, really, I know it, but it's, you know, kids are, It is. And humans, kids are little humans, right? And they're going to figure out those coping mechanisms and they're going to want to fit in with their peer group. And you were talking earlier about how that can be one of the red flags, right? As they start to realize themselves and you as a parent will see that when they're hanging out with their peers, there's like a little bit of a, you know, a discrepancy there. They'll figure out how to blend in. So those little like checks of like, what did I say? What order did I say it in? Those, that's a really good tip too. Yeah, and I do things in terms of speech sound stuff. I do discrimination tasks, which I think in terms of speech, did you mean shoe or did you mean sue? And I do this, you know, a lot of the time with two hands, one hand up, another hand up. I'll say, did you mean so or show, right? So they're kind of showing me, one, what they meant, and two, okay, now I can give those visual cues on, you know, or tactile cues to help them in producing a sound, right? So, oh, you meant show. Let's say show. We're going to push our lips out like we're saying the be quiet sound, show. And so those discrimination tasks are good too, to make sure that one, we're understanding and they're wanting to say, they're saying what they want to say clearly. And then how can I prompt them and scaffold them to be successful in producing that sound? And so for speech, that's another thing that you can do of like discrimination, like do, do, can they hear that that was correct? Can they hear mm-hmm. that those are different? 
Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's yeah. so helpful too. And just in that, what you were saying, Laura, is like maybe no one stopped to try to understand, you know, and some, you know, saying someone cares about what I meant, someone cares about what I'm trying to say, kind of create that collaboration and that trust too. This person wants to know what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to express and what I'm thinking. So yeah, I feel like that's really helpful. I had a question and I don't know how to tactfully ask it. So maybe Laura can help me because she's good at this. Right. Ways that parents are intervening at home that maybe could be done more productively. I think there's a few things that I like to tell parents and I do it in as positive of a way as I can of being patient, like give your child time to say what they want to say. And then maybe you rephrase it in a way that would make it easier for people to understand. So if a child says something a certain way, want apple. Okay. You want an apple? You want to eat an apple? Right. But I'm being patient to help them try to get whatever else they can, whatever they can. It may even be, eh, that might be all that they say. Oh, you want apple. But you're being patient because I think parents speak for children sometimes a little more than they need to. Yes. Try not to interrupt. Like I feel like I'm an interrupter with my daughter because she's one of those big talkers. <laughs> I'm also time. an interrupter because like, girl, spit it out. I know what you're trying to say. Let's wrap it up. I just, mm-hmm. yeah. And if that's not an opportune time for them to be able to tell you the whole story, maybe you say, okay, before bed, I'll give you five minutes. I want you to tell me everything that happened in your class, <laughs> right? Okay. Then it's a set aside special time for them to talk rather than, okay, okay, I, I have to finish dinner. Okay, tell me what you wanted to say, you know, and then it's pressure. And now we're getting communication breakdown and we're getting stress. And now we just lost that communication moment. Yeah, so, that connection moment too. Yeah. Yeah. I have a follow-up thing. Is it true that it's important to like sort of repeat or reiterate what they're trying to say, but with the proper pronunciation? Because I think it's kind of a parent habit to fall into. And I've even been tempted to do it myself when they say something incorrectly and it's really cute and you like sort of accidentally reinforce it by being like, oh God, I'm trying to think of literally any word right now. For a while, my daughter really struggled with the TH sound at the beginning of things, but she became obsessed with thunder and thunderstorms. So she would ask all the time, can we talk about understorms? Can we talk about under? And it was really hard to not be like, oh, I think an understorm is coming when I (laughs) should probably, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it important that I sort of keep modeling the appropriate pronunciation? Is it something that they eventually pick up anyway? Or like, you know, just this is one of those things where it's really easy to scroll through and have people beating you up. Like if you repeat it back the wrong way, you're just reinforcing bad habits. And maybe that's true. Or maybe it's not that big a deal. What do you think about that? I think it's not that big of a deal. I think truly, they're communicating with you. Yeah, maybe eventually, but they're going to probably get it. Like my son would say restaurant for restaurant. And <laughs> yes, yeah, cute stuff like that. Paschetti so instead of spaghetti. Yeah. Stuff like that. I think that. they get it. I mean, you can you can model it for them later. You don't want to correct them every time they say it. I would say, you know, okay. we are going to go to the restaurant. You know, you can do that. Um, I remember my husband telling me at times, don't fix that. Because it was cute, whatever it was. I'd say, I'm not fixing that one because it'll fix itself. And I truly think most things do. If it's a pattern you're seeing where every single time and now, okay, you know, now I'm seeing that 
other kids their age are saying that sound. Maybe it's an R. A lot of the time it's an R. That R sound is the hardest sound. R and L. Yeah. Those can be <sighs> I put R and L together. Turtle, purple, girl. Yeah. My worst. name, Laura. Comes out war- <laughs> Warla. 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 My daughter's name is tough. It has an L and an R in it. Poor thing. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's good to hear that even you are like, there's some things you can kind of just let I feel like it kind of goes till. into your your philosophy of your name of like splashes of speech that, you know, you don't have to be on all the time. Yeah. But, you know, maybe when you're reading a book and it's about thunder and thunder is so loud and, you you know, emphasizing it then and not really worrying about every single moment every single of correcting time. them. Yeah. yeah. I, I have another that. like maybe myth, maybe not. Um, but the whole idea of kind of baby talk that we – as adults love to do to children. And, you know, something that I have heard as well, and sometimes they don't align is that we do when we speak to children, maybe want to speak in a more higher pitch correctly, but maybe more exaggerated, more of a sing song kind of way. And then there's also people, especially in the Montessori community that are like, you speak to them like they're adults. You speak to them like you'd speak to anybody else. Is there a way that we should be communicating with children that helps them with their language? I think that there's a balance. I think when they're really little, sometimes that's how you're calling attention to things. Maybe they know you're talking to them because you're talking maybe in a higher voice. Hey, you know, Rogan, look over here. Hey, look, do you see the little puppy? Right? That's an example, right? Yeah. I'm not going to say, Rogan, there's a dog over there, <laughs> right? So maybe I'm calling attention. I think there's a balance to everything. I don't think anything is black and white in speech development. But I mean, I will say that I definitely talk to my kids more like an adult than some parents do. And I hear them say things to me that I think, oh, that was me. Like they said, oh, we're going to do that as well. Mommy, may I, can I go, you know, so careful on how they say things. So I don't know that I'm the perfect model of that. I think, you know, exposing them to a wide variety of maybe they might call chicken, they might call it bok bok, but we might say, oh, you want to have some bok bok for dinner? Cool. Okay. Well, yeah, I've got some chicken nuggets. I've got some, you know, whatever it is. I've got some chicken in our taco salad. Oh, you like the bok bok? You like the chicken. So you can kind of give them appropriate adult phrases because you want them to have complexity of language, right? Mm -hmm. You want them to have all these different words for the one thing. So there's a balance. I don't know that I would tell anybody, no, when they're starting to get older, maybe 10 years old, maybe we shouldn't be talking in baby talk to our 10 year olds. But I think there's always you know, appropriate, like time and place and a balance. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's a difference. I, cause I definitely have a teacher voice that is different than probably how you and I are speaking right now. Um, but it's, it's definitely somewhere more in the middle, not so much the goo goo gaga, you know, do you love your mama? Kind of yeah. <laughs> and definitely not like an adult. And even when um, like we sing songs to them, we sing songs in an octave higher than we would normally sing because their voices are higher. Yeah, I feel like 
it's kind of natural to want to speak to them that way. And um, yeah, I feel like that's no, you know, shouldn't be beating yourself up about that. If anything, it's quite, it's quite natural to do, but also I love the just being yourself, you know, as well. Well, Or sneezing something off of your head and saying, ah, too. Like, I'm not Mm going to do that to an adult. I'm not going to do that to a 12 year old. Because it's hilarious. (laughs) The little ones like it. And so that's why she walks up to the cash register at the grocery store and she's like, hey, I got a game for you. (laughs) And they're like, okay, crazy lady. Um, All right, I have one last one. One last one that also might be sort of in the same vein of like a misconception truth versus things parents hear nowadays. Um, and also does remind me of having not the former student I was just talking about with the cochlear implant, but a different student who was pretty much completely deaf. Um, I remember her parents being really terrified to teach her sign language. And this is a thing that I feel like I've heard a lot of times about the idea that if you te- even just showing your baby who you have no reason to suspect is deaf, but just is obviously not verbal yet. Teaching signs have, is there any correlation between doing that and a lack of ability to develop language and be verbal? I think it's in the, on the contrary, actually. Yeah. Um, there's research that says that using pretty specific to your child, it's baby signs, but maybe the way that they do it, right? It's not going to be perfectly ASL in the correct order or whatever, that it actually can encourage them to communicate. But I always tell parents, pair it with words. So if I'm going to do more or I'm going to do eat or drink or please, I'm going to always pair it with words if that's what my goal is, right? My goal is for them to be verbal, but maybe this is a way to bridge the gap. Maybe this is a way for them to communicate something that they don't have a word for yet and be successful with to decrease that frustration, right? Sure. Give some success, but we're scaffolding and supporting them towards verbal language. And that's the way I always think about it with baby sign. Like I used it with my daughter. Um, and I would say it was nice in moments when she didn't have the word that she would have the sign for it. But I would always model it verbally. Right. In those moments. Oh, you want to eat? Do you want some milk? right? Where I wouldn't just hand her the milk if she signed milk to me, right? Because my goal was verbal communication. It was just kind of a bridging that gap between not having the word for it and getting that word. Idea of building confidence. Yeah. The scaffolding of what the child is actually able Mm -hmm. to do. Exactly. Not having unrealistic expectations, but also always pairing the two. So you're not accidentally you know, skipping the step where we have to actually learn the word. I like that a lot. And I hope that's helpful to any parents out there who might have babies right now and are like, not sure, like, do I teach them signs for things? Or is so-and-so grandma right that if I do that, they won't learn the word for it, you know? So that's, that's helpful. And that's it. Those are all my questions that I just am impromptu hitting you with right now. I had, so most of the questions were the same and I feel like that I had asked on um, social media, but one last one that I feel like might be helpful for people. So someone had asked, my son had a tongue tie that wasn't trimmed at birth. The doctor said it would stretch. 
will this affect his speech in the future? And how will I know if it needs to get trimmed when he's older? I would say you need to go to a dentist that specializes in it or, you know, an ENT if there's other things that you're seeing. A lot of the time, whenever I'm evaluating a kid, I'll ask parents, did they have trouble nursing or drinking out of a bottle? That's something that I want to know. But, you know, research really is showing like, yeah, it can affect some speech if it's pretty severe, but in general, most tongue ties aren't going to affect production of speech to the point where it's going to affect intelligibility. And it is definitely something that is not all speech therapists agree on and not all dentists and doctors agree on. So it's controversial. And I think it's a big item right now. (laughs) I will second that because that baby that I keep muting myself over he has a posterior tongue tie and a super like his lip ties front lip top lip tie went all the way down to like the bottom of his gums where his teeth grow and in the three weeks that he's been alive I cannot tell you how many heated opinions I have had back and forth from one side or the other either do not get it rectified like this does not this isn't going to affect anything all the way through you will for sure have airway problems if his tongue doesn't sit right on the roof of his mouth and his soft palate doesn't form a certain way. You will see a speech therapist, you know, like it's just, it's enough to make your head spin. People are really divided on this topic. I definitely think I'm in the gray area. I think that there are definitely some things that they're seeing, at least in terms of sleep and airway right, things yeah. that we need to be aware of. I think We need to educate ourselves on those kinds of things. I'm not a specialist in airway or even motorically, like what it's going to do for, you know, when they sleep or when they eat. I will say that in terms of speech, um, unless it's crazy severe, I haven't seen it affect intelligibility. It might affect that they can't get their tongue all the way out to lick their the top of their tongue or the top of their lip, or they may be, might have some difficulty, but I would never tell somebody that if they have a tongue tie, it will cause a speech sound disorder. So you're just gonna, if that's your, so that's my son, he also has a lip tie and I had brought that up to you. And it's, it sounds like if that's what, if your baby has a tie that you're looking out for the signs in the same way that any parent is that you're looking out for, are they, you know, are they getting frustrated with their communication? Are they meeting certain milestones? Is their pediatrician concerned? Am I concerned? And, and looking at it in that same way as well, instead of, I mean, that's really hard to have your pediatrician immediately telling you that they're going to need all of this specialized support in the future. If you don't. as you can tell, as we've talked, I'm never, I feel like I never want to be black or white. Mm-hmm. I feel like every child is unique and we just go about their lives, you know, one step at a time. And so don't expect that, that just because of this one thing, they're forever going to have issues with something in tongue ties or one of those things. But it's your choice as a parent to decide whether or not to get it revised I would never tell people don't. I would never tell people to. That's not my job. That's not my scope of practice. But I think it's it's the parent's choice on what they want to do. And it 
you know, I think there are times where you might be able to see it, see it affect other parts of their life, but you'll see that come about as they get older. And I think you make that choice as a parent as it comes. Last question, and we'll close this out. What would you say to parents who are nervous about seeking help? There are a lot of people who get who are afraid of what the answer might be. Maybe they're nervous that there is some kind of diagnosis in the future that is intimidating to them or that it reflects anything that is going to be said to them reflects on them as a parent. What would you say to parents about seeking intervention? Why should they seek intervention? I'm such a believer in early intervention. The earlier, earlier the better. I think in terms of speech, I never think of it as anything but just something that they haven't learned yet and they might need a little extra support. I've told parents in schools, you know, if they need some speech support or language support, it's very similar to maybe they need a little bit of help in math. Maybe they're better in English than they are in math. Well, maybe they're better with, you know, motorically running around on the playground and doing things than they might be, they might be with language, right? And so I never want to put it as blame game or this pressure or this guilt on parents. And I think we naturally feel that. What did I do wrong? No, your kid is going to be really good at some things and they might need a little support in other things. And that's all it is. And why not get the support as soon as you can so that, you know, they beat that and move on to the next thing they might need support with. So they can get the tools that they need. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll help them in different areas. Speech is such a, and communication such a important part of our lives, whatever that looks like, that I feel like, why not get it as early as you can? And it never hurts. I feel like it's extra ideas for parents. It's extra attention for your little one. It's, we're celebrating these little things that they're learning. We're not making anyone feel bad about the things that they can't do quite yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I get really excited to tell you all the words that he says. (laughs) Like, it's fun. I get so excited. Well, just finding someone that can turn that into a a thing to celebrate and not this thing to feel guilty and condemn your child. I love that you're pointing out that if one thing is a struggle, that just means there's something else that's a natural gift for that child. And it's really important to be able to recognize both sides of it, right? We as parents tend to hone in on the things that are struggles or difficulties or challenges and get really worked up and really freaked out about that. And it's just so important that we can remember like, oh, okay, yeah, so this isn't his or her forte, but these multitude of other things are really great gifts of theirs. And that's just, it's important to talk about that with the kid too. I think sort of demystifying like, yeah, this is tricky. This is hard for you. This is something you're working on. I have lots of things that I'm working on too. Here are all the things that you're already really good at. And like, I can't do those things. You know, like that's all a really important part of this process is if you think that your child is struggling with something speech related not to freak out and get super down about what they're struggling with, but to also find some opportunities to figure out, you know, what, what the good things are there, what the gifts are, and to hopefully find a specialist like you who sees that also and can celebrate that also. Cause I think it's going to be important as a parent to find somebody who doesn't beat you up and make you feel worse. Cause that parental guilt is real. It's somebody who can be like, all right, cool. I'm glad you're here. Let's do this. You're lucky, Megan. Focusing on those strengths. I know. (laughs) I am. And that's why it's so funny to Lene that I hadn't, you know, I'm so into what we're doing that I was 
you know, hadn't even thought of it. And I was telling uh, Rachel and Laura about how amazing you are. And they were like, well, would she come on the podcast? I was like, why didn't I think of that? I know my first question was, can we have her? Can we share her knowledge with everyone? Because obviously she should be shared. People should know about this. She should be shared. Where can people go to find you and learn more about what you do? I have a website, splashesofspeech.com. I'm also on social medias, splashes of speech on Instagram and Facebook. You can reach out anyway through those avenues. Yeah, if they have any and questions, can they reach out to you? 100%. Email, message me. I'm here. It's just me. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. You did great. Yes, thank you so much. Crushed it. <laughs> All right, we'll move on to confessions. Do you have a confession? Or I do. I do have a confession. I mean, I probably have like a thousand way better ones over the last three weeks of my life. But again, deliriously tired. So as I'm sitting here at my desk in my office. I'm looking at all kinds of nice things that I have piled up all around me. And one of them is reminding me of a very toxic trait that I have of collecting and then (laughs) sitting on really cool stickers. Okay. Like I have such a cool collection of stickers to add to my water bottle or my laptop, dare I say, I want to put them on my laptop. I cannot do it dude I have like this awful anxiety about the idea that I'm going to place it down in the wrong spot and then like (laughs) I'm what do I do like game over man I do I have a tattoo that also took me a long time to decide what to do and where to put it was actually possibly more cavalier about the tattoo than I have been about this year's worth of collection of stickers that is sitting next to me right now. I just, if anybody out there has any advice for how to just like pull the trigger, just rip the bandaid off and just put your freaking stickers on something and just be okay with it. I do have some advice. Do you? you? Can you save me? Yeah. So you take off this, you take off the thing, the, paper and you place it on the thing that you want the sticker are on. you actually explaining to me right now how to like physically apply the <laughs> sticker you paint in my butt because that i know it's the overwhelming anxiety of a like someone gave me advice of how to do exactly what i just described <laughs> it's the recovering perfectionist in me who's obviously not recovering as quickly as i need to be that is just afraid to peel the sticker, place the sticker, and then immediately regret where I've put the sticker. Or like put a couple more down and be like, oh no, if I had just put this one here, I'd be able to fit this. You know what I mean? Like, I wish I had a way to like plan it out perfectly before I stuck them down. I was just telling someone about how much I love stickers. It was at the conference actually, because they had these different Montessori stickers. And I was like, oh, I love me a sticker. Um, That should be our next business venture. You won't be in charge of where you place the stickers, but I feel like there's a need for like a professional sticker place. I need it. Yeah. If we could start that business you not and pay then for that? I will be our first customer because I <laughs> I'll just do just, it. Will you come over and put all my stickers on for me, please? Okay, yeah. That would be great. That would really solve that my problem. So Thank you. Because I love stickers and you're scared <laughs> of them. I just this also might be part of my my Libran inability to like make a decision. I need you to just come in yeah. with, your, with yeah. your Scorpio self and just, just pop, 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 slap those stickers on there. And I'll be like, great. Thank you. That looks amazing. 
Yeah, and they'll be like, everything I do, mistakes are made on purpose. I know. Your blind confidence, Megan, is just (laughs) inspirational. It's a little terrifying, but it mostly has only benefited me. So you know what? Come on over and make mistakes all over my water bottle and laptop and make it look cool. It's one of the weirder things that people have ever asked me to come over to do. (laughs) But but that's that's wholesome nonetheless. That's us. Us in a nutshell. Okay. Well, I feel better now. I have a plan uh, that lets me completely off the hook on my sticker hoarding problem. Yeah. That's what I'm here for, honestly, in these confessions is just to let you off the hook for anything that you could ever feel <laughs> You always do. You always in do. Life. This might be a dangerous <laughs> friendship for me to have. Okay. Well, I, ha- I told you I have my list and it's come in handy because I had nothing to share and I have my list of confessions and I do have one on here that is just ridiculous. So do you remember Fairly Odd Parents? Yes, I do. Yeah. Obviously. It's a great um, show. It is. Timmy is an average kid that no one understands. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an episode about how Timmy travels through the internet. And I didn't understand, I guess, that this was not the way that the internet actually worked. Anyway, I believed that this was at least you know, a cartoon version of the way that internet actually works. And so I was sure. in high school so there was not a child child. <laughs> I was in high school and I was writing a paper and I was using the internet as an example of something <laughs> and wrote this whole paper about how I perceived the internet to work based on Fairly the Odd episode Parents. episode of Fairly Odd Parents. And <laughs> I was very confident with my blind confidence <laughs> And my teacher sent it back and she was like, this is not, (laughs) this is so wrong. That's not how the internet works. Any of this works. That's not who invented the internet. (laughs) And I was just laying down facts, facts, facts. And come to find out they were in fact not factual at all. Um, And the only reason it came to my head was that our TV, I recently learned, has like cable I didn't know um or some kind of you can get like channels which I didn't know I thought we just had like an apple tv that you could only stream stuff anyway what came up was the fairly odd parents and it was that episode and I was immediately like oh my gosh just shamed about how I wrote this paper (laughs) incorrectly about the internet and didn't do any research only watching cartoons so (laughs) (laughs) she probably had fun reading it one and two was a valuable lesson for me about you know doing my research I can almost guarantee you she got up from her desk to go share that with at least one other person (laughs) be like come here please read this I wish I would have kept it. Like, I wish I would have kept all my papers from, like, God. school because I'm sure so they're funny. just hilarious. Just read one of <laughs> yes. our confessions for all of you. Yes. Oh, man. I really <laughs> wish that I had any written material at all from that portion of my life. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, subscribe, review, and rate. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, iHeartRadio, you name it, you can find us on it pretty much. If there's if we're missing one, tell us and we'll we'll get on it so that you have no excuse. 
You can also follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, stay wild. <laughs>